Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. the reigning champion of world history. World history? No, church history. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I, looked, I was looking at the word world in the transcript we're about to read as I was trying to say oh, church shoot. history. It's not my fault. It's Al Mohler's fault. Yeah. And I <laughs> forgot to go full screen because I'm terrible at this at this randy you should have caught that and corrected it and we should already be full screen um but that is a glorious crown is that the crown that they actually officially sent you from revised studios yes uh well they crowned me with many crowns uh but this was this this was the prettiest one (laughs) (laughs) yep yep i believe that (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah uh, <laughs> well anyway um welcome to a very sp- is correct okay <laughs> very special uh 0.75 episode yes the anarchist bible study you know what we like we j- about this being zeno's podcast but we really do <laughs> test <laughs> <laughs> we really do test the yeah. test that theory when we get into 0.75s. Yeah. We are just about giving you more content than you know what to do with. That's what we're here for. Um, you know, uh <laughs> so the the reason we're doing this though, the reason we're doing this as a 0.75 instead of we, we thought about maybe doing this as a another 0.5, but that would push it out after um, put it out a week because, of course, as, as you saw yesterday <laughs> or something, I don't know how this lines up with audio, but it'll probably be something like that. Yeah. So yesterday uh, we continued the article, the Megan Basham or Basham. We don't know how to say it. Um, artic, uh, article. We finished that article. I've heard it both ways. You know, that's right. Um and we thought about putting this out a week further out since we we doubled up in the recording a couple weeks back but we kind of thought this was pressing enough that if we're going to react to it at all it needs to go out this week so that's why we're going to a a a 0.75 episode format and let's start by saying and in honor of that you can play it at 0.75 speed if you do not value your time (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's start by saying this. We are both big fans of what became known as the conservative resurgence of the SBC and of one particular man involved in that named Al Mohler. We are massive, massive fans. Massive Moeller fans. Like, we... Huge fans of Moeller. In general. Like, we... We, um... This is another instance where, like, like when we responded to Greg Kokel's video, where we needed to, uh... Uh, heap praise first yeah. before we went on to <laughs> disagree with his take. <laughs> Uh, because right. of course, as, as we're building up to, is just clearly we're building up to. We are disagreeing with the take of Al Mohler today. Now I'm going to be responding to this. I've I've only really read the outline, um, but we wanted to to put that up front. We are not Mohler haters. Now, 
we know nor are we the the briefing hating haters i find the briefing absolutely indispensable yes um and and of course uh to get the most out of it, I listen to it at three times speed with silence skipping, making it the even briefer egg. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, even but, briefer egg. Yeah. Uh, we, we're big fans of Moeller. Like, I love, love Al Moeller. Can't say that enough. We know that he has gone after libertarians in the past, libertarianism in the past. And to be fair, he has and not been massively fair. We, he, yes, true. Okay, we've gotten both. We've gotten, we've gotten drastic misdefinitions of libertarianism. Yes, don't recognize ourselves in the critique, and we've gotten the people you're actually criticizing deserve it. Go out, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And of course, we could forgive him as being an outsider, not understanding who he's talking to. And I've listened to some of his debates with libertarians. And I haven't been overly impressed with the arguments they gave. I think there were, for one, I think there are better people who could make the argument for libertarianism than have tried to make the argument to him. Um, from better theological foundations that he would have appreciated. I'll say that. Um, however, like the information's out there. He could go after it if he wanted to. Um, but to be fair to him, he's got other, uh, <laughs> he's got other things that are kind of in his crosshairs. And at the same time, we'll also acknowledge that Moeller can tend toward the boomer conservative area, but you yeah. know, so can James White. So can <laughs> so can many people that we find very valuable. Um, and 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 boomer conservative. We we don't mean they are boomers who are conservatives. We mean something very specific by boomer conservative. There's sort of this kind of generic conservative take that um, kind of takes certain things as given that are not certainties or even necessarily follow from a conservative outlook or a conservative or a conservative theological outlook applied to politics but it's just kind of this sort of attitude of this is what conservatives believe so I believe this it's kind of a, a boomer con sort of thing and especially on the subject of foreign policy um, and, and yeah like the, the, also he he tends to only as Patrick points out in the chat another flaw is he seems to only acknowledge legacy media as worth interacting with that's the New York Times in particular in New York right. Times in particular um, and uh, <laughs> and of course as Michael Malice is often fond of saying that those organizations are very good at lying with facts. And if you are going into that conversation, expecting them to get the story, right, you are going to be led astray many times. 
between this podcast and us recording, between the podcast that we're going to review and us recording this podcast, the New York Times won its defamation suit with uh, Sarah Palin um, at the uh, at the district court level, um, and uh, which doesn't mean it's over. It's probably going to go to the Supreme Court, but um, but but they won, even though it became very obvious from the trial um, that they did not think it was worth researching whether or not Sarah Palin had caused the shooting of Gabby Giffords. Like, so they came in, they came in, so it was after, after a Bernie Sanders fan shot up the congressional baseball game. Um, and, and they came in with the assumption, even though their own coverage would have told them this was not true, they came in with the assumption that Sarah Palin had caused the shooting of Gabby Giffords. Um, and, and we're like, so we need to scour the interwebs for examples of left-wing violence because we already have our example of right-wing violence. It's like just completely disconnected with the world. Um, but but they still want, I mean, even though that's like the basic definition of reckless disregard for the truth <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, and very revealingly, um, Ross Dutat, uh, Dutat, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard it both ways. Um, they, uh, uh, he, he emails them the next morning um, saying, hey, guys, this was really lazy and wrong and just the slightest bit of, bit of fact-checking would have kept you from being so amazingly wrong on this. He's like, and he goes, I expect to disagree with our opinion pages. It's like, it, it, it's like, so it's even people who work for the New York Times know that a, a conservative should, should just expect this kind of thing from that. So anyway, and these are all the things that came out of the trial and they mm-hmm. still won um, mm-hmm. because because the expectation for them to not be so um, reckless with the facts to to lie with facts <laughs> um, uh, and in this in this case have a central part of their claim that was untrue but then this 1619 project its central claim was simply untrue. So, <laughs> and so. Yep. Anyway, so I, I know I know what what malice means does not exclude the possibility that they would also lie with non facts. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's it's the it's the sort of assumption and. Uh, I know that it, it, people are waking up from this every day, but I, I, I know and love this kind of conservative who, who still does honestly think that if the things we were talking about were true, they would have told them in the news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and there's, there's a little bit of that with Mueller, who, again, I want to say, 
hero, love him, mm. have seen him, in, have have met him in person, and done nothing but honor him and slather him in praise, and yeah. try to get him to be interested in sports. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, but anyway, the, uh, and uh, uh, and I I believe he was absolutely the man for the moment for SPCS yes. to save that institution yeah. from uh, from liberalism and irrelevancy. And and even as we might sometimes have some critiques about the type of people that he allows to keep around, even so, we are, we remain molar so uh molar supporters and we brought him up like he was one of the signers i believe of the cambridge declaration yes. and yeah but yes but all that said especially in foreign policy monging, monging wars yes and 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 i'm gonna say that it's largely because these are these are not unconnected things the fact that he still looks to these legacy media, corporate media types as trustworthy sources of information. That is why he gets it very wrong on foreign policy. Oh, yeah. That's why I thought it was worth spending time on this, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> spending time on the legacy media thing is because I think if you, 100% If you consider the Wall Street Journal credible reporting... And right wing, he really right wing. He, he speaks that way. Like the Wall Street Journal is the is the example of right wing media. Um, corporatist, and, sure, yeah, but not right wing. Like if you if that's what you think of as right wing, respectable conservative media, you're gonna find yourself justifying atrocities. Um. That's just, but anyway, I I don't want to I don't want to bury this this podcast in preamble because for one thing we've already done our preambling for the week, um, but we are going to listen to his briefing uh, from February fifteenth, and the subject is the Ukraine and Russia standoff. Um, we're going to listen to parts one and two. We'll see what time we have if we maybe want to get to three, but really we're going to center on one and two. And we are going to listen to this at uh, two times speed. So if you are yourself listening uh, at two times speed to us, which is, by the way, canonically the speed to listen to us at... Uh, I sound so much smarter at two times speed. Uh, you should be listening at two times speed. Uh, then you might want to either. You, you could even say you sound fast and furious. <laughs> Get out. Get out of there. <laughs> uh, you might want to either slow down to listen to this. Uh, slow, slow this down to normal speed. Whatever that may be to listen to this as we do. Or go find this podcast yourself. Listen to it. And then or find the briefing and then listen to our take on it. 
It's Tuesday, February 15, 2022. I'm Albert Muller, and this is The Briefing, a daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview. What takes priority these days? Local issues, regional issues, national issues, international issues? Here's something for Christians to think about. As you get to the larger arenas, certainly beyond the nation, American Christians tend to lose interest. That is to say, if you're talking about a local issue, there's usually fairly intense local interest. If you're talking about regional issues, lots of interest. When you're talking about your state, you're talking about even the United States of America, you might have a fall off in certain kinds of stories, but there is still a sense, this is important to me, I'd better pay attention, at least to some degree, or at least find out if it turns out to be a big story. But when it comes to international issues... Uh, I'm pausing... Even though I said in our pre-meeting that I'm not going to do this. Because I already kind of disagree with them. Like, I... I yeah, I, 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 I think, think he's wrong on this. That's a bad thing. I think he's wrong <laughs> think on this. I should care more about more local news. I think, like, I think the, the, the Christian doctrine that, he, as he brings up so often, the Christian doctrine of subsidiarity... Um, and um, and the and this simple recognition um, that because we are limited by time, space, attention, energy, um, because we are finite and uh, <laughs> um, we are finite creatures um, uh, who who have who have to spend um, one third of our existence sleeping to be able to continue our existence <laughs> like and 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 um uh and and because we are limited in so many ways um that it is only right and natural um and good and holy for us to care more about things nearer to us than far further further from us um and um, and because of the doctrine of subsidiarity that, um, that decisions, decisions should be made at the lowest and most local level possible, um, then, uh, then we should be more interested in things the more local they are. I think that is not how most people, I think, I think most people consume um, mostly national news, then international news in order of quantity. It's mostly national, then international, then state, then or, or then regional, then state, then local, which is almost the opposite of how it should be. Yeah. I think the fact that I do not vote in local elections largely because I don't know the people well enough. I don't know their positions. I don't know the local election well enough to have a position. And I don't think I'm the only one. And I would, I would say this is another really good example of the way that we get obsessed with national politics and we miss local politics. I want to say that some of the shock recently of people finding out how much CRT is, is taught in local yes. schools is that thing like did did these teach did these parents suddenly become anti-marxists anti uh critical race theory they they first discovered critical race theory when they found it on papers coming home or on lectures they were overhearing in their kids school like did they just recently find out no i'm pretty sure all of these parents knew about these things knew they were in the national news 
and had no idea it was happening right under their nose. The shock exactly. came when they found out it was closer than what they thought. Exactly. I it's and so I think really I think he's wrong about this and I would well, even and- argue that this is part of the problem that he's going to run into in reacting to this is he's yes. overemphasizing international relations things and international relations media coverage and not thinking what would you do in this situation what are the boots on the ground people saying about this issue because they're saying very different things than the wall street journalists absolutely and uh and and I I can see, see that what you're ta- what you're talking about um, with your own ability to pay attention um, and your own voting habits I I see that because I I work I work in elections at all levels um, mm-hmm. and and so you'll get twenty percent more voters most elections in a federal election in Canada than you will in a provincial election. The provincial election, um, about twice as many people, give or take, um, vote in than the, uh, 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 or uh, uh, yeah, the, about twice as many people, give or take, vote in the provincial election than uh, in the municipal elections. And then uh, twice as many people will vote for like a county councilor who didn't really run and didn't really campaign, didn't really spend money. No one could possibly know who this person is. Twice as many people will vote for that person than will vote for their local school board. So, so it's really, (laughs) um, it's really noticeable um, the level of time, attention, information that people have for the different levels and it very much runs in the opposite direction from where subsidiarity should indicate and i'm not blaming people for that it's because of the way the news is structured because of the way because of the way people get their news because of what is available to them um mm-hmm. so i totally i totally especially with the rise of the internet so i can totally understand um i can totally understand why um it works that way uh, but it very much, uh, it very much does reflect sort of a reversal of uh, of the the natural uh, and I think godly defensible way that we should um, be thinking about our responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and yeah, <laughs> I'm. I've already looked a little bit ahead and I'm going to do my best to not pause. I'm going to let it ride the whole way out and uh, for the, for part one, not the whole episode, the whole way out of part one and then respond to the whole thing. Okay. I'm going to do my best. I, I, I kind of even believe you. <laughs> All right.
Many people just get absolutely perplexed. Is this a big story or not? We need to understand that there are two big dimensions that tend to confuse us. One has to do with the fact that there are big stories that are only big stories because there aren't any other big stories. And so you have big events that take place in a small context, and so they look huge. And you also have giant world events that sometimes unfold slowly or come to a boil fairly slowly. And so many people look at them and think, well, that might not be a big story. Nothing appears to be happening there until it does. Now, as we're looking at the biggest story in the world right now, and you say, well, in news, what in the world could that be? I want you to trust me on this. The biggest story right now really is Ukraine. Now, you're tired of it. We've talked about it in terms of its history and how we got here. You're tired of it because the story seems to be the same story over and over and over again. Russia has amassed a huge army of about 100,000 soldiers on the border with Ukraine, which had formerly by force been made part of the Soviet Union. Russia wants it back, or it at least wants Ukraine to be politically nullified or neutralized. And thus, you have the threat or the aim or the plan, do we know yet, for actual military force, and the world is watching. So last week, we talked about an understanding from history of how we have arrived at this point and why the story is a much older story. It's a much bigger story than most Americans understand, not to mention American Christians. But here we are returning to it today. What new do we have to say? What's really going on here? Has Putin and has Russia invaded Ukraine? Well, maybe so, maybe not. There are credible reports that some pre-invasion incursions have already taken place. Is Putin merely waiting for the Olympics to be concluded in Beijing so that he does not offend or embarrass his ally of convenience, or for that matter of necessity, the communist-dominated Chinese regime? We don't know yet, but there are signs, and the Biden administration has been very clear about this, there are signs that, if anything, Putin may not be waiting until the Olympics are over. But then again, something very interesting in addition to all this has happened since we talked about Ukraine last, and this has to do with the fact that the Ukrainians seem, at least publicly, at least officially, less concerned about a Russian invasion than the United States and European allies. Well, how can that be? They're the ones who are actually already invaded in terms of at least some of the regions. They're the ones looking across the border at about 100,000 hostile troops. They're the ones looking at current efforts to try to destabilize their regime, and they say they're not sure this is really an ongoing hostile act. Well, how do you explain that? Well, you explain that by saying Ukraine is basically a battered nation when it comes to a kind of psychological syndrome. They are not defenseless, but there's no way they could bear the full onslaught of Russian military might. Even if the Russians were to run out of their weapons and expenditures, and for that matter, the will to fight, those aren't likely anytime soon, they would vastly outlast the same alternative resources in the nation of Ukraine. Last week on the briefing, I tried to provide an historical understanding of how we have arrived at this moment and why anyone watching this relationship in this region over time would be fundamentally unsurprised. Disappointed, yes, but surprised, no. But there have been developments even since last week, and there have also been revelations that cause us to return to this picture and ask once again what's going on here. What should Christians be seeing? What should we be thinking about here? But in order to understand this, let's come back to the United States of America. The United States of America went through a very tumultuous 20th century. So let's think not so much about Ukraine's history, not so much about Russian history. Let's think about our history. Where was the United States of America in terms of the world picture at the beginnings of the 20th century? We were an emerging economic, military, social powerhouse. We were the attention of the world, but at the same time, at the beginning of the 20th century, there were still many old kingdoms and empires that appeared to rule much of the Earth's surface. The largest of them was the British Empire. And at that point, the British Empire, defended mostly by the British Navy, seemed to be a largely invincible force. But the French had an empire, and the Russians had an empire, and the Belgians had an empire, especially in Africa. The United States came into our independence by rejecting an imperial power, and that was Great Britain. But by the time you get to the early 20th century, we were a sort of imperial power because there was no other way to maintain America's national interest, and also to try to help bring about some of the goals that America had in the world. So you could talk about the Philippines or Puerto Rico, or you could talk about other regions of the world where the United States had a very clear interest. But the United States was never an ambitious imperial power, and it never actually wanted to acknowledge that it ever intended to be. In the early part of the 20th century, and well throughout much of the century, the United States had a great temptation in foreign policy, but it wasn't imperialism, it was isolationism. The temptation to isolationism is the temptation to say that America could be concerned only with the affairs of the United States. We can concentrate on domestic issues and ignore the rest of the world. America's sixth president, John Quincy Adams, also, of course, the son of a president, John Quincy Adams said famously that the United States does not go abroad seeking monsters to destroy. That is to say, the United States keeps its focus on home, not so much on the rest of the world. And that worked for about the first century of American life. The second century, that became far more problematic. And the reality is that the world will not stay outside of American concern. And it is because, given the stature, the size, and the significance of the United States of America, there is no way that our interests do not come into conflict with the interests of other, we would say, far more aggressive parties. The 20th century was the bed of tragic but inevitable lessons for the United States. It was a school of foreign policy for the United States, and it took two world wars finally to convince the United States that domestic issues would simply not stay separated from the issues of foreign policy. It took the First World War with the threat of all kinds of imperial evil to take place in the world and the crushing of democracy throughout much of Europe, and then it took, of course, the absolute horrors of the Second World War in which you had America in one theater fighting the evil paganism of Nazi Germany and its death cult, and on the other side, the unbridled Pacific imperial ambitions of imperial Japan. But then there's another problem. When the United States has in its own clumsy and sometimes misdirected way tried to do good in the world by our own self-understanding, or even in the terms of what's called realpolitik, that is, hard, realistic politics, has come to the conclusion that we simply couldn't ignore some happenings around the world, the United States, over the course of the last half century and more, has learned two very problematic lessons. One of them we could call Vietnam, the other one we might call Afghanistan. 
The conclusion of World War II gave way to what became known as the Cold War, in which you had this massive ideological face-off between international communism dominated by the Soviet Union and Western understandings of democracy, basically symbolized by the United States, also our allies. But the United States always had to run point. Eventually, the United States often got called in to clean up the problems of our allies, and that's what happened in Vietnam and in much of Indochina. You had the reality that you had imperial powers such as France fail in attempting to hold on to those particular regions of Southeast Asia against communist incursions. And so once the French were defeated, basically the United States came to try to fill in the gap, to try to fill the vacuum, and the United States found itself in a quagmire that lasted well over a generation and basically seemed to teach many Americans that there was nothing worth fighting for in terms of the world challenge. But then fast forward more than a generation and you get to Afghanistan in the aftermath of the 9-11 terror attacks in New York City and in Washington, D.C. It became fairly well known very early that Afghanistan and the Taliban had been offering cover for al-Qaeda and the terror forces that were unleashed on the United States. And so, filled with another sense of righteousness, the United States went to war not so much against Afghanistan as in Afghanistan, against the Taliban and other malignant forces. But then that war was basically expanded into an effort to topple the regime of Saddam Hussein in Iraq and to try to create a workable society in Afghanistan and in Iraq. Arguably, the effort was less justified in Iraq than in Afghanistan. There's no doubt Afghanistan and the Taliban were giving cover to al-Qaeda. But at the same time, there's also no doubt that rebuilding efforts for society have been arguably more successful in Iraq than they ever were or could have been in Afghanistan. But the point is this, the Biden administration's disastrous retreat that left American pride and American honor basically subverted, but also left thousands and thousands of civilians exposed and the friends of America made ever much more vulnerable to the Taliban. The bottom line is that due to failures mostly political in both cases, Americans seem to get on the other side of Vietnam and say, well, we're not doing that again, only to get on the other side of Afghanistan and say, even very much more recently, we're not doing that again. And then come headlines from Ukraine. And many Americans are saying, well, is this just Vietnam again? Is this just Afghanistan again? Is this just an American administration saber rattling again? But in this case, that's part one. Uh, I heroically <laughs> did not pause. For those who are listening to this on the podcast, it it looked like I Wankap was passing a kidney stone. <laughs> it was <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. Ooh, let's, let's take it from the top of that. Um, okay. So he says that Ukraine is a big story and he's right, but not for the reason that he thinks it is. Right. Okay. So, okay. 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 First of all, he makes a big deal out of the fact that we're dealing with this is a historic conflict. Like, we can't just look at the modern world and think that that's everything. And he's well, he right. Spent like a whole episode on that last week. He mentions he spent like a whole episode on that last week. So, <laughs> but it seems like one step in the history that he's skipping is the part where they stopped being the Soviet Union. Yeah. This is a different regime. He didn't in his big history. And by the way, admirably, he didn't skip the part where the Rus people started in Kiev and that the and that the and that the uh, uh, capital only moved to Moscow later. He did not skip that part. He mentioned it. He he didn't say it in quite the way we would say it. But but he actually mentioned it. So like he did. He did right by the history when he talked about it the previous week. And, um, but, but yeah, it, the history is relevant in ways he's not grappling with here. Uh, by coincidence, I happen to have been catching up on my, uh, Scott Horton, uh, episodes that I've been, I've been behind since the beginning of the year, really. And I've been, I've been re get. And so uh, he's been talking about Russia a lot. And so, Oh boy. Um, but, First of all, okay, 
the history. We need to, the, talking about the history. Like that that is a big thing. First and second of all, uh, let's talk about first of oh my goodness. <laughs> Patrick says in the chat, um, because he says, okay, here in this one of these paragraphs, he says, we don't know yet, but there are signs in the Biden administration has been very clear about this. There are signs that, if anything, Putin may not be waiting until the Olympics are over uh, to make his move um, because he doesn't want to. This says something about not embarrassing the communist dominated Chinese regime. By the way, the um, rumors of Chinese communism have been greatly exaggerated. China has been making very much a uh, capitalistic-ish turn. They are probably better um, described as, and I know this word has a lot of uh, <laughs> charged language, but they are probably better explained as a fascist system at this point. A state capitalist system, which is what the original fascism was, was state capitalism. So there's, But there's carved out rooms for freedom in that. I, I, uh, I, that's there, there's, and, and so there are movements happening in China of, of liberalization, but not, not as far as we'd like them to. I'm not, I'm not, this is not a pro China channel. I'll say that, but, um, but I, he makes that I'm comment. Ve I'm very pro China. I'm very pro China. Um, which is why I think that those dirty red, I almost said a word. Um, should give it back to them, uh, That's right. and, and, uh, and 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 let the uh, and and let the legitimate Chinese government, um, in as much as any government of a nation state is legitimate, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, let them uh, uh, stop stop quarantining them to an island in the uh, in the South Pacific and uh, yeah. and uh, and and let them let them exercise their lawful control. I'm very pro China. Yep. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but the big thing, and then he says, he quotes, he says the Biden administration are saying there's signs that Putin might not wait until the Olympics are over to invade. And Patrick in the chat says the most trustworthy source for information. Moeller says the Biden administration. Uh, so Moeller says, you know, of course he quotes the Biden administration, the same, same people he's going to go after at the end of this. <sighs> Here's another thing that history tells us that when your approval rating is in the tank, if you can gin up war support, you might see a bump. Yep. Isn't that a little coincidental that that all of that, that Russia's on the verge of invading at the same time that Biden finds he is less popular, uh, than any president in recent memory. Like he's massively unpopular. And, and if it's too boring to let history teach you that lesson, um, then there's a Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro movie about it. You can just watch that instead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, <sighs> yeah. Okay. So, but he keeps going on about these hundred thousand hostile troops on the border, and and everyone keeps m forgetting that this was a planned exercise that they've already begun going home from. 
Right. Like, and that's first of all. Second of all, we're doing the same freaking thing. We've done the same freaking thing on Russia's borders, on China's borders. We've been running these same military drills, these saber-rattling drills. Like, oh, they're just military drills. No, what it is is we're placing uh, armies close enough that we're going to make them feel uncomfortable and show off our might so that they know that we're strong. That's what it is. It's the same thing that that all of those old jousts in the past where there was a show of military might and without actually going to war. And... Uh, and it's, 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 it's just, this is the problem is you're only looking at one side of the equation. Okay. They, we keep talking, he keeps talking about Russia as if they are the aggressors here without at one, any point mentioning, Hey, there's still something called NATO. What was NATO formed to do? What was NATO formed to do? It was it was in theory to uh, prevent the aggression of the uh, Eastern Bloc in Europe, namely Russia. Namely, to stop the Soviet Union. Well, there was yeah. no Russia. Well, but the Soviet <laughs> Union, <laughs> or which there was, was a Russia. It was a Russia controlling Russia, part of a union of Soviet states. NATO is a particularly and specifically anti-Russia organization. It was set up to oppose Correct. the communism, North American trade organization, right? These were the free trade countries, the anti-communist treaty, 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 sorry, sorry, the treaty free trade. Yeah. The free trade organization. I was, I was mixing up words. Sorry. These were the free trade companies, the or countries. These were the, 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 the capitalistic as opposed to communistic countries who were, allying themselves in case of Russian aggression. And then the Soviets collapse. That'll be part of this article as we get along. And then NATO has solved and served its purpose, right? So they close shop and go home and go back to being sovereign nations. No! They keeps on kicking. And in fact, keeps on moving closer and closer to Russia. It's this whole, I, this, it's so fast. Like, like it's kind of like what what's happening. And I, and I know I'm not the first person to use this, this, this analogy, but I, I don't know. I can't come up with a single person. It's almost like saying, Hey, you over there in that house should not, you know what you over there in that house should not be, uh, at all intimidated by the fact that I have guns over in my house, across the street and down the lane. Sure, you're right. That shouldn't be an intimidation. And so if someone tries to attack me because I have guns, that is unjustified aggression. But let's say I take all my guns, arm up my friends, and I move down the road and across the street, and I'm sitting out on the lawn of this person's house. I'm sitting out on the sidewalk no let's say i'm on the sidewalk with all my guns and all my friends carrying the guns and i'm sitting out here being like and then all of a sudden you come running out your house with your guns and i'm like whoa unwarranted aggression i'm just sitting out here on the sidewalk with all my guns. what are you attacking me just because i have guns that is unlaw unwarranted aggression 
we know you know what you're doing when you take your guns and your friends out and you, you set up lawn chairs right outside his house this is a threat and this is what we've been doing to russia ever since the end of the cold war see the truth is the cold war never ended we just got the upper hand and we kept pushing it right and we keep moving more and more weapons onto russia's doorstep and at what point does their pushing back stop being aggression again we're not pro-russia here we're not super 100 percent pro-russia honestly i have trouble hating putin as much as everyone wants me to hate him but I'm not, uh, if you know, for one thing, if I'm a, a quote agent of Putin, I'm he's not paying me enough for this. But I'm just saying, like, if you stop and you think from their perspective, like, what are we doing? Sure, Ukraine is just a little poor, tiny country, but one in which we've been meddling for years. That's another thing. Like the current government is there because we toppled a legitimately democratically elected regime when we found out that they did not uh want to take our our hard line on russia's stance we replaced them cia victoria newland um state department of i, I believe it's the obama regime and isn't it? and and by the way also involved in that Christian freeland who I don't expect anyone outside of Canada to have known until this week when she was the uh, white lady standing at the podium announcing the, the freezing of everyone's assets who was involved in the, uh, uh, her grandfather is a Ukrainian Nazi. Yeah. And, and she was involved, she was involved in, in that coup. Yeah. By the way, these are legit. We're pretty sure Nazis. These, these are legit Nazis who are ruling Ukraine right now. Like that part gets over, gets, gets just sort of brushed over that. Like we, we established, we, we have been giving money to legit Nazis and arms. Like you know, that whole Ukraine fiasco with Trump, um, he was delaying giving money or giving weapons to Nazis. That's what we're talking about right now. No one wants to talk about that. Where's the history on that there, Mueller? Um, how, what, where's the history on the fact that we <laughs> overthrew a legitimately elected government and a sta- and put Nazis in place because we thought they would go our hard line? And let's talk about the fact that this is a poor uh, nation that has been battered. Okay, they, he blames the Russians for this. You know who's actually been in Ukraine more than the Russians? United States. State Department. NATO. They've been battered. Yeah, they've been battered, right? But from the other direction, this is this is it. We Ukraine, like uh, Ukraine, is right now not worth conquering. Let's just say that it's not worth conquering. Putin gains nothing from conquering right. Ukraine. They are an economic, social Wait. disaster. He he talks he talks later about how um, or it's the very next paragraph. He talks about how um, they would not be able to stand up to Russia. Yeah, it's because they're an absolute basket case. Their government sucks. Their economy sucks. They are an absolute basket case. They're 
it is it is not worth <laughs> the um right yeah it's not worth yeah go on sorry go on with your point i was just like i <laughs> he brought something up and again if i hadn't yeah, been listening to scott horton um, today i wouldn't have anything to say <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it wouldn't um it wouldn't be worth it and then and then he also um he also talks about the the history of american isolationism and paints mm. it as if uh um as if uh, America was just minding its own business and then 9-11 happened. It's like, it's, it's, we'll get to that. I, I'm really, <laughs> I'm, I'm really getting very tired of, but it's the same thing with Ukraine here, right? Is like, yeah. uh, well, we're just minding our own mission. And, and, then, and then for some reason, Russia is getting involved in Ukrainian elections. How yeah. dare they? Yeah. Okay. Patrick is bringing up super important things in the chat. Um, here's another key yeah. to this to this whole Ukraine thing. Uh, he's talking about Biden's son. Okay, this Burisma Corporation that Biden's son right. found himself part of. What this was was the ousted military or the ousted government and, or cast off from the ousted and government. Good, and not his good son who died. The the screw up son. To be clear. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. This was a. This was a. Um. This was a th what happened was the uh, I think allies or actual members of the government were ousted of the ousted government. They actually they went and they hired Biden's son as an insurance policy in order to not have the Biden or the Obama regime, which was really the Biden regime. We're talking about this is Biden's war from the beginning. Let's be real about that. Biden's war in Ukraine. Biden's whole Biden was neck deep in all of this and the hiring of Biden's son that whole thing that we all went crazy about like hold on why is he getting paid by this Russian or this Ukrainian gas company this was all an effort to avoid having the existing government backed by the United States government come down on them well they're protected because now the vice president's son works for the company and yeah, this is this is all this is absolutely insane. And then of course, um, Patrick brings up another thing. You know those territories that Putin is looking to conquer? He legit had an opportunity to take them legally. They had a referendum. These 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 territories, who by the way, they consider themselves more Russian than Ukrainian. That's another thing. We're talking about self-identification of the people. They consider themselves Russian such that they actually passed a referendum to leave Ukraine and join Russia. And Putin said no. Putin actually said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. He didn't have to send in the troops. And here's another thing. <laughs> These areas that are being evacuated... These these areas being evacuated, you know where they're evacuating to? Russia. Russia. They're evacuating to Russia. If these poor countries, these so scared of Putin's iron fist coming down on them, then why do they want to be part of Russia? Right. So between well, NATO we left out moving to Russia's doorstep and these people actually wanting to be part of Russia and the fact that Putin gains nothing from this. 
does this are how are we not getting this it's a dang setup and and we we i think we were headed this direction and then we and then we got distracted so the so when the soviet union collapses um bush the first makes makes the deal that um that russia gets the nukes because there were a bunch of nukes in 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 ukraine um because that was their border um so that was would be where you would have put them especially your medium range ballistic missiles that you want to be able to hit berlin with or whatever um so um so i the deal was we're not going to add any more members to the nuclear club (laughs) um ukraine gives the nukes back to russia in exchange russia gives crimea to ukraine and as the broker of this deal the united states promises that we are not going to move nato any closer to russia's borders um so that was the three-way deal and um and so so okay so who got screwed in this deal russia got screwed in this deal because we did not keep our end of not our in the sense of nato since my country is a profligate member of that alliance (laughs) um uh (laughs) um and uh uh um, which is fair because we actually we actually do share a border with Russia. It's called the Arctic, um, and we. Uh, I mean, I, I I hope we never, I hope we never go to war over it. But technically, we have disputed territory with Russia up there. Um, so uh, anyway, but but the uh, uh, so. Uh, so we broke the deal by by moving closer uh, to Russia. So then Russia reneges on their part of the deal and takes Crimea. And the and the the people who really get screwed by this are Ukraine because they still don't have the nukes, <laughs> and now they don't have Crimea, and they don't get to be part of NATO, mm-hmm. even though a lot mm-hmm. of their neighbors now are. Yeah. So so they're just getting they're just getting the short end of every single stick. Yeah. So Ukraine are a bunch of Nazis. Uh Russia has no could have taken these territories if they wanted to and said no, gain nothing by invasion. Um second. Let's talk about innocent old United States just minding his own business with no imperial oh my gosh when he says the united states was never an ambitious imperial power well okay sorry should we talk about the we should sorry should we talk about the um uh where he says let me let me read it to make sure i is uh uh but then again, something very interesting in addition to all that has happened since we talked about Ukraine last, and this has to do with the fact that the Ukrainians seem, at least publicly, at least officially, less concerned about a Russian invasion than the United States and European allies. By the way, the European allies are faking it. Like, they don't care, and they're not going to help Ukraine. <laughs> it's the United States. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's another part of it is that the Ukraine keeps and, and he he's like because of psychological battering or maybe they don't want to be the next proxy war between two nation two nuclear nations. That's the thing that I'm I've been, I was holding off on this one. I was going to save it for later, but Russia has nukes. Like like he, he okay, he, the comparison he makes eventually and we'll come back to it. We'll 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 come back to innocent Eng, uh, uh United States and we'll make our way up to Afghanistan. But it's like will this be another Vietnam? Will this be another Afghanistan? Is this No, it's not. Because Vietnam and Afghanistan were not nuclear powers. Like these were yeah, they were proxy wars whereby we could go after the communists without actually going to war with the communists. That was the whole point of the Cold War, is we were fighting wars against the communists without going to war with the communists. We were trying to win strategic battles to hem them in. This is a nuclear power. We are flirting with nuclear war here. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, this is, this is, it's outrageous that we're even thinking about this. Like, why do we, why are we stoking up this, this tension? Actual nuclear bombs could land in America if we decide to go to this war. And, we are as much as we like to the the vaunted anti ballistic whatever we've got. That's not happening. That's not happening. When the nuke nuke stop start dropping, one of them's going to land. Well, and especially when you're talking about a nuclear power that has as many nukes as Russia, like like if you're if you're talking about North Korea, it's got maybe one or two and shots. They have, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say four or five, but yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, four or five still means you're probably getting hit once based on my understanding of how these things work. Um, but, but uh, Russia has enough nukes to wipe out the entire planet. Yes. <laughs> so by do itself. we, by the way. Yes. <laughs> this is the end um, of existence. If we go to war with them, like if but, I didn't, believe in the sovereignty of God that Christ is going to return, uh, I, I would be actually worried. I'd be really nervous about this. But but seriously, this is like this is ridiculous. This is not saber-rattling. For Christ's sake, this is not saber-rattling. This is Russian roulette. Forgive the pun. <laughs> like we're holding like we're holding a gun to our own head, spinning the spinning the chambers, and let's see what happens. Like saber rattling is what you do when everyone's fighting with swords. This is the power to turn cities into atoms. Dusting in New York City turned into a crater. That's what we're talking about here. It's insane that we are even debating this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, it's, <sighs> that's why Ukraine doesn't want 
This is why Ukraine's trying to play down the tensions. Calm down, everybody. Calm down, everybody, because they are going to be the the battleground of two nuclear nations going to war. How do you think they feel about that? Like, that's just... This is insanity. And, and, and let's talk about innocent old minding their own business United States. We never had... <laughs> ambitions of imperial you know like we were just minding our own business and then all of a sudden well i guess you know what there's imperial powers moving in this one in, in in world war one we, we got to get involved you know what oh twist my arm well you know woodrow wilson twist my arm i guess i have to get involved in a land squabble in in uh europe is that really what happened is that really what happened uh jeff is that what happened did Woodrow Wilson just get drugged into, oh, ow, ow, I guess I have to go to war. Oh, no. Is that what happened? Uh, no, actually, um, he was well aware that the uh, Lusitania um, was carrying weapons, was going to be fired on and was going to be sunk and made sure that Americans would be on that boat. Um, and uh, the uh, the Zimmerman note, um, which was the other supposed provocation to cause the war, which, which it, actually, funnily enough, the Zimmerman note is very much like the kind of thing that we're doing to Russia. It was it was the Germans trying to get Mexico to to agree to and 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 telling them, okay, here's the parts you can take your former territories in the United States. Here's the parts you can take um, uh, if, if you join us in a war against the United States. Um, it's uh, very similar to, to us going up to all of Russia's neighbors and being like, okay, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's make some alliances, you know, for your protection, of course. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that was, um, okay, assuming it was legitimate and there is some legitimate concern about that, but so assuming that, <laughs> assuming that uh, Telegraph was, was legitimate, um, it, was, it was intercepted um, by the Americans and the Mexicans never agreed to it. And, and so, so you're talking about a diplomat talking to a diplomat and you tap his phone functionally. It's not a it's it's not actual like aggressive action. So so America was was walking through the world with her chin out, waiting for someone to waiting for someone to bump it. The way he describes it, like we were a budding social, military, and economic powerhouse, and we were just minding our own business. No, we knew we were a oh, budding powerhouse. Way, the president before Woodrow Wilson um, said, we need to have a really big war because Americans are getting soft. Um, yeah. and, and Woodrow Wilson tried to run to his, I, what, well, tried to present himself as more hawkish on the international stage, more responsible, more interventionist, than mm. Theodore Roosevelt 
um, of he San wanted Juan it. Hill. Like he was desperate yeah. for a war. The, 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 we wanted to flex our muscles and show the world what was it, what was up. Like Woodrow Wilson wanted to and, get involved oh, in that by war. By the way, can we remember? Can we remember that World War One? I'll I'll speak I'll speak for the United States here because for Canada it's a little more complicated. Canada wasn't a fully independent nation in terms of our foreign policy from the Crown. So if 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 the UK is in the war and under attack, then Canada's kind of involved. Mm. That wasn't so different situation with Canada. But speaking for the United States, um, World War One was just none of the U.S.'s business at all. Like people forget because the Germans end up being the bad guy in the sequel that they were not the bad guy in World War One. Like yeah. <laughs> Well, that that war was just that war was just pointless over pointless old world. Let's trade some colonies type squabbling like Germany had with the unification of Germany. Germany had suddenly become one of the biggest, most powerful nations in the world, arguably, arguably should have had a giant colonial empire based on the old way of thinking about these things. And they thought, well, then why don't we have these things? And. And the way wars on the continent of Europe had been conducted in the past is we'll have a little war here in Europe, and then we'll sit at a table like gentlemen, and we'll trade some colonies and end the war. And that's what everyone thought was going to happen. Yeah. And Woodrow Wilson wanted to be part of it. Woodrow Wilson wanted to be part of it. He wanted to to be part of the remapping of Europe. And and what's interesting is they painted Bismarck as this terrible, awful emperor. Uh, and what's interesting is we painted him out to be Hitler. Right. <laughs> and 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 then Patrick asked in the chat, added AMA, go back in time. Who do you take out, Woodrow Wilson or Hitler? It's a fascinating question because some have plausibly argued that if Woodrow Wilson does not get involved in World War One, there is no Hitler. Yes. Adolf Hitler dies as a frustrated artist painting his happy little trees and never gets ambitions of dictatorship. There is no World War Two. Uh <laughs> And, and 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 Patrick is right. It's, it's this is all over a pack of attacking NATO. The problem was treaties. The problem was right. mutual defense treaties. That if someone goes to war, everyone else has to get involved. Like that's what World War One was By about. Way, I have a different answer on that. On that, uh, who do you who do you take out if you can go back in time? I take out Teddy Roosevelt because yes. he was a weak and sickly child, and it would be easier. And that would keep Woodrow Wilson from winning. It keeps Woodrow Wilson from winning. Keeps Teddy Roosevelt from putzing up the presidency. The, the modern the modern imperial presidency is his fault. For some reason, both Correct. sides, Republicans and Democrats, love Teddy Teddy Roosevelt when he is by far Which the most you know villainous human beings. He's yeah. one of the most villainous <laughs> human beings of history. Uh both sides love him. That's how you know he was a monster. Right. Terrible. Uh, <laughs> horrible human being. Um, he is the reason that we have a, such a 
pure uh, monarchistic presidency instead of the very um, humble thing that it was supposed to be. Now it wasn't ever. Who knows? But, um, but World War One. We had no business being involved in. We had no dog in that fight. No one was threatening the United States even slightly. It was all about Woodrow Wilson wanting to prove he had the biggest stick. And if, like, it all comes back to the Russians. The Russians were leaving that war. If we had not come in and the Russians had left, the Germans would have won, and it would have been fine. It wouldn't have made that much of a difference. And there would have been they would have gotten yeah. Alsace and Lorraine. Um, yes, they 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 would have they would have gotten Holstein on top of Schleswig or something. Um, yeah, and they would have gotten Borneo or some crap like that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it all would have been over. And I mean. USSR, when does that come to power again? The USSR comes to power in... Um, well, 1917, sort of. It's like they start... It starts forming... They, um, it's, it, starts, it starts forming uh, because of the... Uh, well, okay. It's... It, it's partially because of the uh, territory that that they take in World War II while they have the alliance with Hitler. Um, and then when they take that territory, they set up Soviet socialist republics. Um, yeah. uh, but but they already it was already there in utero during the yeah. revolution. Like I they, mean, they they thought they thought yeah. they were gonna end foreign policy um really and and just bring everybody under the same umbrella in a worldwide yeah. union of so socialist republics which again let's say this too um on while we're attacking the and the um specter of a innocent united states let's also attack the uh the uh myth of the kindly uh winston churchill like also World War Two, yeah. World War Two. You know what it should have been? You know what it should have been? Should have been the Nazis and the Russians killing themselves. Let them fight. Communists, Nazis, go fight it out, duke it out, kill yourselves. Instead, we throw in with the Russians. We practically gift. The USSR with all all their shiny new territories, as a result of devastating German Germany for the second time, uh, we so basically Germany gets screwed over twi twice. Like okay, let's let's learn some lessons. I'm going to be the first person to make a legitimate comparison between Trump and the Nazis. Uh, a legitimate comparison. Uh, what happened? What happened with the Nazis? End of World War One because we hopped in and and tilted the scales. They get screwed royally, economically. They get crushed. And so, what are they doing? They're just sitting around waiting for someone to come around and tell them, "I will make you great again." Yeah, I'm gonna make you great again. 
Now I'm going to end the comparison there because one of them was never planning on opening uh, any... Uh, what you call it? Um, unlike uh, they, they're never going to open any concentration camps. Unlike the left, after he lost, we're talking openly about uh, opening re-education camps, which we know how those always turn out. But yeah, <laughs> but somehow the Germans did get the French to build the wall and pay for it. That is a fact. They did do that. They did do that. that. But it's yeah. <laughs> um, the, these these third grade myths that were taught to us by education systems that we're trying to, you know, the 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 we we believe that the um, victors write the history books, except when we're the victors. Then it's just bi- unbiased history. But but we. We were going in there to swing a fight. We came into World War One. We wanted to fight, and if it weren't for us getting involved, there is there's probably no rise of the Nazi Party, which which causes the Second World War to happen. Oh, oh, oh but also, by the way, um, so I uh, we uh, so the United States also causes the Nazis not only by um, not only by going back on Woodrow Wilson's promise that there would be that 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 the peace would be just go back, go back to status quo ante, no indemnification, or no uh, or no um, what's the what's the word for what they had to pay, um, no uh, um, no uh, I'm I'm blanking on the word indemnification is opposite um, of the word I'm looking for. Um, but but the, uh, so demnification, I, which is not the word either. Um, yeah. but, but no uh, finding a fault where you have to pay um, uh, reparations, no reparations, there we go. Um, uh, no, no exchange of territory, no, uh, no humiliating. Uh, so they, they screwed up at every turn. They, um, because of American propaganda, um, they had to uh, get rid of the Kaiser, which meant that now you have the non-imperial government has to sign the armistice to end the war. It has to sign the Treaty of Versailles because, because sorry, to sign the armistice, they had to get rid of the emperor, which means that then when you have to sign the actual peace treaty, they're sending they're sending a non-imperial government. So you're tainting that next non-imperial government. Then we forget this because we just we talk about the Weimar Republic as if it was an utter and complete failure. The Weimar Republic lasted longer than the uh, Third Reich. The Weimar Republic only falls because of the American Great Depression. Mm. The American Great Depression, which, as you and I know, was caused by the Fed, um, 
the American Great Depression causes the economic collapse in Germany, which causes the fall of the Weimar Republic, which causes the rise of Hitler. The, the Weimar Republic was actually doing great and outlast, it, it, and in hindsight, outlasted the Third Reich. It, it was not doomed and horribly unstable. That, that's how we think of it now because of what happened next. But it was doing fine. It was, it was the American Great Depression caused by, caused by loose monetary policy run by America's central bank. And if I'm not mistaken, by the way, one of the other, uh, I could be wrong about this, but I think one of the other stipulations in the Treaty of Versailles was that Germany was not allowed to have a central bank because they understood that central banks were a really easy way to fund a war machine without having to pay the price for it. Huh. So, so with, so they don't have a central bank, but they are allowed to have a mint. And so all they're allowed to do is actually just print the money, which is how you end up with the wheelbarrows of cash and having to get paid twice a day and the, and the hyperinflation is because they didn't have the more complicated ways, uh, the more sneaky ways. All they could do was actually just straight up print money, uh, yeah. which, is how, which is how they fall. Yeah, and honestly, we've been we're probably not getting to part two because we've had so much to say <laughs> in part one. Um, we could probably just overflow over shoot over the rest of it. So the ideological war against communism um was a foolish war because communism was destined to fail. Um Ludwig von Mises told us that all the way at the beginning. Um, that communism with its economic calculation problem was never going to succeed. And ultimately, that's what caused the USSR to fail. It wasn't the United States saber-rattling. Saber it wasn't the spy wars. It wasn't uh, Vietnam or Korea, which we lost both of those. Um, it wasn't any of that. It was, oh yeah, oh, we technically won Korea. No, we didn't. We lost. Um, the, the country that we were trying to stop from happening is still existent to this day. We lost. So... All of that, that, that wasn't because of that. It was because communism is a failing ideology. It is incapable of success. It cannot happen. It was always going to collapse under the weight of its own economic incapabilities. That's always what was going to happen. And so when it fell, it had nothing to do with us. Even though we declared victory, it was always there. It was never going to succeed. And then fast, he says, fast forward more than a generation you get to Afghanistan. No, don't fast forward. So much happens between now and then. So much happens because at the time, you know, because you know what? Afghanistan wasn't a, a uh, proxy war, uh, was a proxy war in that uh, communist fight at the time. You go back and you, you, you see um, there's been some great historical work on the way that we, we armed and taught Afghanistan to bait the Reds into wars they could not fight. In many ways, you, and you know what? One of those soldiers that we taught, and we did a really good job, a little-known guy, has never really did much, just not not too known. Had a nice beard. That's about all he was remembered. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what was his name again? Ah, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, uh, Ob Ob Obama. Ob 
Ben Trudeau, Oslama, Oslama Ben Cladden, Osama. We trained Osama Bin Laden. We taught him everything he knew. We taught him. He he learned from the best. And he just used the things that we taught him against us. He baited us into a war with the Taliban who were not protecting him. The Taliban oh, offered yeah. They were totally willing to, to sell him out. They were totally willing to sell him out. On a silver platter. They offered him to us. This is the most disgraceful thing of history is when you start learning along the way things like, oh yeah, Japan offered conditional surrender before we dropped the atomic bombs. You weren't taught that, were you? No one was taught that. We were taught that if we didn't drop the atomic bombs, there was going to be a second D-Day as our soldiers were on their way to invade Japan and how many soldiers were going to die. But thankfully, we dropped uh, two atomic bombs on civilian population centers. Thank well, God we did that. They wanted to do, the main thing they wanted to do was keep the emperor. Um, and, and we didn't want to let them do that. And then, <laughs> and then we dropped two atomic bombs on them and, and then decided we needed to let them keep the emperor anyway. <laughs> because otherwise, there would, no be, there would be no legitimacy to the peace. Yes, that's the harsh, that's the most obnoxious thing. I'm sorry, okay, you look at the absolute mess Japanese culture is today. Absolute mess. Trace it back. It traces back to when we vaporized two of their population centers. Like, we... Including, by the way, uh, Americans killed more Christians than the Japanese ever did. We vaporized two of their population centers. We started and, with the most Christian city in Japan. And, uh, yeah. And that began uh, what has been a century of nihilistic sort of thought in J Japanese culture. What is the kawaii culture? What is the anime culture? Why is it that Japan's most popular art form is an art form for children that's been adultified, which, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy me some Cowboy Bebop. I enjoy me some, I'm, I'm watching Yu Yu Hakusho right now. Um, big fan of, I'm a Gundam Wing fan. Uh, but why is that the case? Because when you watch two population centers vaporized in an instant, in a war that you were never involved in. You, they didn't sign up for the army. How much does that make the world just a, a world of adulthood look absurd? They All of Japan is right now running from reality by burying themselves in work such that they've invented a word for dying at work. There's a new word in their in their um in their uh dictionary for dying at work because they're running from the reality by work by, by burying themselves in capitalistic production which we're cool with because when we get cheap San, Samsung's and Sanyo's and whatever you know we get we get cheap we get cheap goods from Japan second thing oh what where else do they uh hide themselves on well you've got that the, the culture I forget what it's called where where people 
where young adults will hide themselves in their room, order everything in and never leave their, their, their little tiny flats. And, um, you know, they, they bury themselves in, uh, you know, the whole waifu culture, which is fake wives. Cause real people disappoint you. That's hiding from the world. And you've got anime kawaii culture, especially like the cute culture. I don't want to be an adult. I just want to be a cute little kid. That whole attitude that's because we dropped two bombs on population centers. We wrecked the proud Japanese culture of samurai, of, of, of honor, a budding Christian culture. We devastated that after they had already offered surrender. And we ended up giving them what they wanted anyway. If that doesn't dash this myth of innocent America on the world stage. I don't know what will. And, and then, yeah, why does, why does, um, Al Qaeda attack us? Um, nine 11 on nine 11. We're just like, what, why do they hate us? We thought we were cool. We thought we were cool. Didn't even know that we've been meddling in their world. Um, we've been meddling in the middle East for decades. Oh yeah. You have to skip so many wars to tell the this story this way right and not just like <laughs> um patrick gave us the name uh, for that culture of withdrawn hikomori yep um the uh just so the uh so not only not only just uh, ignoring ignoring that there's constant meddling, but constant wars. Uh, the The United States, in particular, is involved in so many wars in so many countries that that Congress can't keep up. But there are there are congressmen and senators who who cannot bring themselves to understand who 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 can try to get a grapple a grapple on how many places the United States is fighting wars and can't. So and I, I, I and, remember and from when time that... to time from time to time people die and uh-huh. and everyone goes. I didn't know we were fighting in this place. Right. I was just gonna say, like, there's that that story that came out um, oh. a couple years back of three soldiers die in, um, I want to say the Congo, or something like that. It was like a Central African country was, or some kind. It was it was West it was West Africa somewhere. I can't yeah. remember exactly. Central West West Central Africa, and then all of a sudden we were all like, I didn't know we had sold, and like there were there were congressmen being like, we didn't know we had soldiers there to die. Like we had no idea that that we were fighting there. Like we have been like this whole this we, that we never had imperial ambitions. Nine eleven happened because of our imperial ambitions, because we have been imperializing all over the Middle East for for decades. Like it, it's it's this absolute insanity. And then again, like yeah, Taliban. Wanted to give up Osama bin Laden. We fought for decades. Oh, we finally got him. We got him. Like, it finally got him. Like, 
over what? Like he, well, they were going to give him to us. Taliban was like, "Hey, get him out of here." Like honestly, and so what's so fascinating is for all the threats of all the terrible things that the Taliban is going to do when they take control. What's going on? Well, right. What well, kind of seems then, like it's just going back to normal. And then, and then don't don't leave aside. What was Osama bin Laden's hope? with the attacks it wasn't it wasn't that the united states would collapse it wasn't it wasn't that it was it wasn't that the united states would withdraw from saudi arabia in fear right away it was that he would draw the united states into a pointless war that they couldn't win um and and that we fell for it and that then they would become the united states would become too poor and too tired of losing their boys to be able to maintain their military commitments in the middle east yeah and and where did they learn that well they were trained to do that against by the, the communists states. by the united yeah. states it was a proxy war our proxy wars against the ussr is what caused Al-Qaeda. And by the way, <laughs> this is a, another one of my favorite things to point out. Um, we talk a lot about moderate rebels in Syria. Moderate rebels in Syria. You know what they call themselves? Al-Qaeda. That's what they call themselves. When you walk up to the moderate rebels and you say, hey, what do you call yourselves? Al-Qaeda. So we fight against Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And arm them in Syria. And by the way, do you really believe there's no communication between Syria, Al Qaeda, and Afghanistan, Al Qaeda? They're not. They're not trading weapons at all. I'm sure none of that's happening, right? Because everyone knows there's no porous borders in the friggin' desert. <laughs> and and let's not even get started on the fact that we that. We invade Iraq, and of course, he talks about how there's. You could argue less justification for it. You could argue there was less justification for invading Iraq. That's how you're going to spin this, buddy. There was no justification for Iraq. This was George W. finishing Daddy's war and using the most veiled of veiled uh, justifications. Like it was just like he was just muttering under his breath. 9/11 weapons of mass destruction, and then everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, they were involved in 9/11 and weapons of mass destruction." Well, I guess we never actually said that. Put, we just put, said the. They were going to put dirty nukes on balsa wood gliders and fly them into the Western United States. Remember that one? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. Oh my gosh, that's right. This is ins the the insanity of this is implying that we were all the we were just innocent bystanders in in the 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 events of the 20th century is the most I insane thing you can only believe that if you are reading the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal when when I was when I was doing collegiate debate we had a card. So, so your evidence is on like cards, and so a card is a card is a card of evidence, and 
So when I was when I was doing collegiate debate and uh, and for our our foreign policy years, we had we had a card um, uh, that that we titled a little cheekily, um, uh, "George Bush does have an exit plan in Iraq to exit into Iran." That was our card. Um, and and so it was whenever you needed whenever you needed to talk about whatever you needed to link the argument that you were having on on foreign policy and and say well if you do that you're going to cause a war in Iran and that would be bad for these reasons and everything so we start with we start with this card George Bush has a plan for has an exit strategy in Iraq into Iran um, and 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 there was and that was very much I mean that wasn't crazy. At the, and this was 2005 that we were 2005 2006 that we were arguing this. Um, that wasn't crazy. It it totally looked like we were just going to keep rolling on and and that Iran was going to be next, and then maybe North Korea after that, and maybe mm-hmm. Gaddafi after that, and yeah, then Gaddafi jumped the line, and Hillary Clinton went yeah. ahead and got him sodomized to death in the streets. Yeah. After he gave up his nukes, his nuclear program, by the way, which uh, Iran watched and learned that lesson, I think. Well, North Korea definitely did. Um, yeah. We're a bunch of bullies. The truth is, we are a bunch of bullies. We have been for some time. We are in the international stage, a bunch of bullies. And that's what a lot of people forget about is we elected two presidents in a row on a dovish foreign policy. Because Americans are sick of it. Like, Americans are sick of it. Obama when? came to power on the grounds that he was going to get out of Iraq. And did he? No. Heck no. Because they never follow through on their plans. Uh, in fact, he got us involved in more wars. Um, Trump came to power on a dovish foreign policy. Because he wanted, he wanted to actually, shocker, not go to war with a nuclear power. He said, hey, guys, what if we don't antagonize the other world power, the other nuclear power? What if we don't do that? I know. Shocking. Scandalous. Between Reagan and Trump Biden, I'm pretty sure. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Um, Because because it was. it was Bush and the guy from Massachusetts, whose name I'm forgetting, um, who uh, who did the the Dukakis. Uh, so okay, Bush between Bush Dukakis and Trump Biden, America voted for the more dovish of the two major party choices in every election. Yeah, and I and- would say that Trump Biden was a unique circumstance. And here's the deal also, and I'm going to do this. Um, you know, Patrick says, at least Trump didn't start any new wars. And honestly, by the warped uh, grading that we have to judge our presidents, uh, presidents since Woodrow Wilson, that makes him probably the most libertarian candidate in our life, uh, president in our lifetime. He's the most uh, anti-war president in our lifetime. And also, I'm going to be real. I'm giving him Afghanistan. I, I'm giving Trump Afghanistan. I think 
Trump is the one who set the stage and set it up in such a way that Biden didn't have a choice. He did not want to leave Afghanistan. It is very clear from the way he kept putting it off and putting it off, but he didn't have a choice. Trump set it up so that he had to leave Afghanistan. And so I'm going to give, I'm, I'm giving that one to Trump. Now, some people are going to be like, how about the disastrous pullout? Um, do we give that to Biden? Here's the, here's, you know what? With everything that went wrong and the ways it went wrong, I'm convinced it was intentional. I'm convinced. This is where I'm putting on my tinfoil hat. I'm convinced the disastrous pullout was intentional. It was a, I don't know if it was Biden who intentionally did this so that he could have some justification oh, no, to go back. The, but I think it was it probably was more likely the governors. Not the governors, the generals. Um, the I think it was a message to don't, a president. Don't you to, dare do this to us again. Don't you dare this, do this again. That's exactly what it was. Um, the disastrous retreat, quote unquote, disastrous retreat. Like, what do you think? If we've been there another 20 years, like, what, what would it take another 20 years to set up this government that fell in three days? And, honestly, like, conservatives at that are exchange the, rate, at that exchange rate, all it would take is a millennium um, yeah. to, you know, get a few weeks of a stable government. Meanwhile, we are going broke. We are on the verge of economic collapse ourselves. We, the United States, are on the verge of economic collapse. Um, everybody wants to pretend it's not happening, and they're all going to blame COVID for it. But it's it's Afghanistan, it's Iraq. That's where it all, that's where all our money's been going. Money's been leaking out our nose and falling into the Middle East for uh, decades. That's where it went. And now we're like, you know, what we could really use. A war with a nuclear power. I don't know what to say to you, Boomer Cons. I, I don't know what to say to you. Like, it's so fascinating that they keep trying to lecture us as if we're the ones who never read history. They're all the ones reading around the inconvenient bits. And by the way, Biden staffed up with some super China hawks. So it was like, they weren't particularly picky on which nuclear power, I guess. Uh, <laughs> is yeah. because, because he staffed up his administration with some ridiculously hawkish people on China. Um, Caitlin Johnstone was really good, who we've talked about before, who's like terrible on everything but wars, but is just amazing on the wars. Um, uh, she uh, she did a really good job of documenting how he was how he was staffing up with uh, with China hawks just everywhere, um, and so I mean you can't you can't be surprised that uh, that you're going to end up going ah China's not really being as provocative as we hoped. Yeah. But let's let's get something with Russia. And here is ultimately the problem. Here is the problem with Russia. One, yeah, gas. Yep, that they're an oil power. Yep, that's a problem for us. But the real problem. What 
which wait, which the free market could have solved. Because with with fracking and pipelines and um, uh, and taking your boot off the neck of of uh, liquefied natural gas and and all these other things that that regardless of how you feel about their their moral quality, that's what Europe needs. That's what Europe is. <laughs> that's that's why Europe needs Russia. But they wouldn't if North American leaders would would just for a second stop worrying about what Klaus Schwab thinks and and worry about making the world an actually better place by yeah uh, by by letting our own people and then and then in a pinch the Europeans get their gas from somewhere other than Russia yeah and let's and let's get down to business and say this is the real sin that Putin committed and by the way it's the same sin that Xi Jinping is committing and it's the same sin that Trump committed what is the ideology that holds these three great enemies together nationalism they are pursuing nationalistic greatness they want to and 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 they're but but not just a nationalism of greatness they want to pursue a nationalism of not being ruled by global technocratic elites they of 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 staying home and keeping our soldiers in our own country that's what they're doing they want to protect their own country in an age where we're breaking down borders and we're creating a global technocracy and they're standing in the way of that and that is in excusable remember that hot minute before trump that boris johnson was public enemy number one because because he was actually going to do brexit um you know yeah, after true. everyone promised that they were going to do it um uh and uh so so like so like even the the wimpy effete british version of asserting national sovereignty they just can't stand until they get yeah. distracted by even worse assertion of national sovereignty, um, and uh, and this is this is why they hate Viktor Orban. This is why they hate um, uh, Duda in Poland. Uh -huh. uh, it is it's uh, the guy in Brazil. Oh yeah, uh, Bolsonaro. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, bullets, Bibles, and beef was his campaign slogan, which I just thought was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, or it wasn't a campaign slogan. Sorry, it was like it was like uh, it was like how Clinton had "It's the economy, stupid," where that was actually like an internal that was an internal thing that they had for themselves to look at, but it kind of leaked out. That was kind of it was, it was Bolsonaro's campaign had it, that as kind of an internal internal yeah. thing where they they wanted to focus on bullets bibles and beef um and it kind of leaked mm -hmm. out and, and and because because of course a lot of people freaked out and i'm like 
that sounds not terrible. I think an Albertan politician could actually get pretty far on that platform. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, um, it, 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 so, uh, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, and they've totally forgotten about Bolsonaro now, um, mm -hmm. which just proves what we're talking about. Which is just like they're, um, it's 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 whoever is asserting nationalism the most at the moment, and because and because uh, uh, Bolsonaro isn't isn't making trouble at the moment, mm -hmm. um, they're they're willing to move on and yeah, we're moving on to El Salvador now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like clockwork, uh, like clockwork, people. Keep your eyes open. Public enemy number one is anyone who asserts national sovereignty against a global technocracy. And like, you, you can call me a conspiracy theorist. You can call me a a uh, tinfoil hat, whatever. Um, but the proofs and the, the proof of the pudding's in the eating of it. You put it in your mouth, and it tastes like global technocracy. It's global technocracy. You know, if it quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, looks like a duck, it's global technocracy. <laughs> and, and this gets back to the question. And honestly, the question that we answered in our episode 50, which you haven't watched that, go back and watch it. Uh, we did an AMA, answered some really hard questions and did some, uh, I think, some decent answering. And we were asked about uh, to, to defend Christian anarchism and to ask what is the practical outcomes of it. And we talked about decentralization and we, this is where, um, this is a practical outworking of our Christian anarchism. Here's the truth. If we never actually get to a stateless society, but we keep in view that goal, I'm happy. It's going to get, if, if, if we on our way to never get to a, a private property society, but we get to a true monarchy, I'll be satisfied. In fact, you know, I've often said, I don't know that we'll accomplish it in my lifetime. And I don't think I want it to be accomplished in my lifetime. That'd be too much of a collapse. And I don't think we're ready for it. For one thing, we don't have the moral quality necessary to keep a private property society. We don't have the, the Christian values necessary, the family values necessary, the family that structure necessary in order to uphold this, that kind of society. But what it does mean is against the globalists, I will always side with the nationalists. We'll always side with the nationalists against the globalists, the national sovereignty over the globalists and against the nationalists. I will always side with the state's rights. People, the decentralized, the decentralists, the provincials, the, the state, the secessionists, the secessionists and against this and against the secessionists. I will also always stand with, the individualists and the family base and the voluntarists and you know as 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 it's and this is a really a retooling of thomas jefferson's statement um that against the federal government we will always side with the states against the states we will always side with the counties against the counties we will always side with the cities and against the cities we will always side with the individuals it's uh that is the true by the way, that is the true checks and balances that America was built with. It wasn't this fake checks and balances between the Supreme Court and the Congress and the president, which all end up rubber stamping each other in all the worst ways. This was the true uh, checks and balances intended was the the uh, 
the threat of secession that would hang over everyone's head at every moment, the possibility of of another revolutionary move. And that's that is why that is the practical outworking. Is do am I <laughs> another thing that gets back to is the principle that I've espoused a few times on the show of be wary of convenient enemies. Be wary of convenient enemies. Because it, Christian nationalism just happens to be the great boogeyman now, right? The idea of a Christian nation, that our nation nationalists married with Christianity, we could have a Christian nation, that would be the worst thing that could happen. Really? Against a secular, globo-homo revolution? Like, you think Christian nationalism is a problem? As I, as, and as I once tweeted, imagine looking around at this secular... Uh, hellscape and thinking that the problem is Christian nationalism. That's why I don't get too worked up about America first uh, people. I'm I'm okay with them. Except just be wary that once America first succeeds, I'm going to become an Iowa firster. As a as a, a, a new follow of my uh, that I found on Twitter. I'm an Iowa supremacist. Uh, ultimately, and uh, work our way on down. So, uh, we didn't get to even part two, but honestly, I feel like we set it up. I kind of glanced over the rest of the part two, and I was kind of like, you know, it's more of this. Um, you know, maybe I'll take a second glance. Maybe we'll come back. Well, someday, for once but- we. For for once, we might have a production meeting off air, but I, I think uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we'll maybe maybe I'll agree with you, but we uh, we'll have to look at that. Yeah, um, but we're gonna have to call it a day on this one. We've we've given you a lot of content this week, and I'm feeling it in my bones. I'm gonna need to hit the hay because I promised a little boy <laughs> that I would wrestle with him tomorrow. Uh this which which is to say two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh I I I uh, that's my my children's new favorite thing is wrestling daddy. And so they're like, "Are you going to wrestle tonight?" And wrestle and read is what they always want me to do. Wrestle with them and I said, "You know what? Tomorrow I promise you three times. Tomorrow we're going to have three daddy wrestle sessions." And so uh that's what I'm looking for tomorrow. Uh, pretending to lose to a bunch of uh, little boys. <laughs> uh, the, the the bruised egos that we'll take for the for the sake of fun. <laughs> which which, yeah. uh, which president will you pretend to be while you're uh, pretending to lose to your boys on President's Day? Um, <laughs> oh, is it President's Day? Oh, I, wow! I think that's. I think that's your made-up holiday. Our made-up holiday, yeah. I think, is called Family Day. Um, I might have to write something up for Flyover Libertarian Facebook page. Um, something <laughs> devastatingly snarky. Anywho. Flyover Libertarian <laughs> Facebook page. That's still a thing? Yeah, yeah. I'm re-engaging. <laughs> I'm re-engaging with it, I too. I, I thought I had stolen all your attention away. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, we're, we're making the flyover libertarian Facebook page great again. <laughs> Anywho, um, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for, for riding this out with us. Um, um, 
we, we do appreciate it. We appreciate your uh, listening along. You're continuing to follow along with us. Um, and also, we appreciate that you are right now hovering your finger over the like button, preparing to like that, and uh, also over the share button because you're going to share it with your friends. Um, and also, you're hovering your finger over your cell phone because you're about to text your friend and say, hey, uh, you want to hear the real scoop about this Ukraine-Russia thing? Go to Scott Horton's show. But also, this show's okay. Uh <laughs> I'm glad you made that joke because I was going to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and uh, of course, uh, if, if you like what we do, want to support it, buymecoffee.com slash flyover. Um, we're really, uh, I'm, I'm, we're, we're hoping to do make some moves, do some juking and jiving, making some things happen. And uh, I would appreciate it if you would support us in doing that. And um, yeah. And join us again next week. Not today, because we're not going to do another 0.75 next week. Uh, but join us again. That's what you think. <laughs> join us again next week when we take Anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. <laughs>